State Senator Eric Schmidt has locked down the Republican nomination for state treasurer. But there are two Democrats running for the post, including Pat Contreras. The Kansas City Democrat tells us why he's the best person for the job on another edition of Politically Speaking. I think that is fair As to I say. say hands to kiss and babies to shake. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I think my record speaks for itself. That's a really good question. Hello and welcome to the Politically Speaking Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Rosenbaum, a reporter with St. Louis Public Radio. We're back from Jefferson City. Joining us in St. Louis is... Yes, very tired, Joe Manis. And uh, joining us as our very special guest... Pat Contreras, candidate for state treasurer. You've, you've been prepared for, preparing for this all your life <laughs> at this point. Absolutely. Uh, thank you for being our, our guest today. This is kind of part of our long-running series of getting every statewide candidate in before the August primary. And you are a candidate for state treasurer. Yes, sir. Um, Democrat. A Democrat. And you're running in a Democratic primary for the right to face Republican State Senator Eric Schmidt in the general election. So um, it's an open seat. Clint Zweifel is not running for re-election because he can't. This is one of the few offices in Missouri that has term limits as far as a statewide office right. goes. Right. Zweifel is a Democrat also, and he's chosen not to run for anything else, at least right now. I think that he is planning to uh, take a, a brief hiatus from politics, but we're not here to talk about Clint Zweifel yet. Tell us a little bit about yourself, kind of your background and um, just kind of your overall interest in Missouri politics. Sure, sure, sure. So first of all, Jason and Joe, thank you so much for having me here today. It's so good to be here. I really appreciate it. Um, I'm fired up about this uh, this opportunity and really fired up about working uh, for the state of Missouri and for the people. I, uh, as, you, as you mentioned, I grew up in Kansas City, um, had uh, the uh, wonderful opportunity to actually go to college here in St. Louis and moved here to St. Louis last year. So I've been Where'd here you since go to college? I went to SLU, St. Okay. Louis University. I've gone to uh, Catholic school the majority of my life, but I've also gone to uh, public school as well. And uh, it's good to be back. Now I'm relearning the city a little bit because back in the day when I was in college, you know, it was a different experience, but it's good to be back. And most of my friends, I'll, I'll be clear, most of my friends, at least here in St. Louis, are busy. Uh, uh, my college buddies, most of them are chasing kids around the house, and I'm chasing votes around the state. I don't know which is better, but, uh, you know, it's the season we're in, I guess. I right? think that they both have their uh, appeal generally. And challenges. Um, so you have kind of a, a varied professional background after yeah. you kind of left college. You, or, or before, I think you dove into your professional career during. You were a Coro Fellow for, for, yes. for Focus St. Louis. Tell us a little bit about that. Yep, first. yep. So uh, uh, it was a little bit after my work at the Federal Reserve Bank. I came back to Kansas City, or sorry, back to St. Louis, and was a Coro Fellow in public affairs. And here, I had the great opportunity to to work in various aspects of public affairs. I now, worked, when was that? Uh, that was, uh, it was 2005, 2006, and uh, was able to, I worked at McCormick Baron Salazar. He okay. worked on affordable housing here locally, worked at St. Louis County Public Works, uh, I ran a guy for for uh, for aldermen, so I was in, in politics as well then. Which guy? Uh, Eric Reese for aldermen okay. back in the day. Uh, so it was it was a while ago. That was that was a real grassroots campaign. That was uh, that was before my time here. I was still uh, uh, slogging in mid Missouri at yep. that point. But continue. Yep, yep. I'm trying to think who else. I also we did a short stint at Great Rivers Greenway. Okay. Um, and sprinkler fitters 268. Uh, and um, it was good to be able to help them out with their increasing their membership. I think you're actually the second Cora fellow to be on our show. Alderman Megan Green was a Cora yep. fellow as well. So right. it's a very prestigious group, but it also gives you a, a wide variety of public policy while you're you're in that. Absolutely. Passion. So after that, what did you do? So after Coro, I went to graduate school. 
So I went to Columbia University in New York and studied uh, MPA. Okay. For two years. Now, MPA stands for? Master in Public Administration. Okay, just so yeah. our listeners know. Go Perfect. Ahead. And it was a public and economic policy focus, uh, mostly on advanced policy analysis and economics. Yeah. And then I think you were in the State Department after that. Is that correct? That's or- correct. I, uh, I joined the State Department in the fall of 2008 and uh, was a commissioned foreign service officer with the State Department. Started during the Bush administration and was commissioned officially under the Obama administration. Now, what are your duties? I know some of it might be top secret, but <laughs> were you like transversing the globe to, to spread democracy here and here and far? Or, or was it a little bit more specific than that? Yeah, no, it's a good question. Uh, my first overseas assignment was in Pakistan. I uh, did two deployments, two tours in Pakistan. Okay. One was a visas officer. So I was uh, interviewing thousands of Pakistani citizens that wanted to visit the United States. And that was what we sort of called the front lines of diplomacy, the front lines of national security. And then I stuck around and done some did work on uh, countering violent extremism in Pakistan for another year. So I was there for two full years. Yeah, I've got a couple of friends who are in the State Department. So, yeah, I've heard some of this. So what prompted you? When did you leave the State Department? Why did you leave? And what prompted you to come back to Missouri? Yeah, I, uh, I left the State Department in the fall of 2012. And this was after doing two tours in, in Pakistan, uh, one in Mexico, where we worked on uh, doing uh, judicial reform and helping uh, weed out corruption and also liaising with their, with their government on various uh, sort of uh, uh, ways in which we could strengthen the U.S.-Mexico relationship. Um, and I came back to Washington um, in 12 to work uh, at... Uh, the State Department, Maine State Department, on public diplomacy initiatives in Europe, and did a detailed assignment at the Department of Commerce, where we worked on attracting foreign investment to create American jobs. So what, again, to kind of ask Joe, what prompted you to come back to Missouri? It seemed like you had a pretty widely successful career working in those those different federal agencies. Sure, sure, sure. No, I, well, I missed the barbecue. I, oh, I, and now, 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 did now, you need you know. just to chill out of it? I know Washington can be. I lived there for a while. I know it can be kind of a intense i yeah. mean at some point uh, do you just burn out no it was it was you know it was intense but i loved it it was it was i wanted to get uh, uh, be able to get outside and just see how other you know other societies and other countries live and really be able to bring that learning back so my whole intention was to leave missouri to go to school and serve our country and come back and come back when did you decide to uh, officially get into the race for treasurer you know this was uh, this this was in i would say we were pro- we were talking about this at the end of 14, and already looking ahead and trying to figure out ways in which I could um, have the most impact. Where could I actually contribute and really push the dial here back home? Uh-huh. Um, and it was one of those things where you know we I had a number of conversations with political friends from uh, all across the state and talked to my fam- friends and family and. Uh, and, and, it's, and, and it was a good fit. And it was a really good decision. I'm glad we're here and running for state treasurer. Now, one of the things I, I you, you and I talked at length at Democrat Days a few months ago for our listeners. That's in Hannibal. It's an annual event. And uh, you get a real sense of what's going on in outstate Missouri if you go up there. You had a rather innovative web ad yes. that you were playing throughout the weekend, which I thought... What prompted you? That was sort of a new approach, at mm-hmm. least among uh, the candidates that I've seen so far. Um, what's have you been playing that more? What sort of response have you been getting? Is that something that you're going to end up with on TV? Absolutely, absolutely, and and a good question. And we actually did put that up on TV. We put that up in the St. Louis and Kansas City media markets during the Missouri presidential primaries. Okay, um, which was fantastic and got great reviews from folks all around the state. We're also pushing it out on social media, um, but really sending that message that. We are powered by the people of Missouri. We are powered by the people who care the most about Missouri's future, and that's the millennials. 
not the millionaires. I, I want to be clear about that. That's, now, now, for for listeners who haven't seen the web ad, and we'll put a link to it, what it, what exactly does it entail? So the web ad talks about hashtag Team 529, and Team 529 is our our millennial group that's powering our campaign. We are recruiting 529 young people from all across the state of Missouri to be our boots on the ground, to push out social media, to be our eyes and ears on the ground. And Team 529 is taken after the college savings plan, which is the most 529 college savings plan of the state of Missouri. But it was rather intriguing to me because you were targeting millennials. Yes. And, of course, at at Democrat days, a lot of them are people more that are closer to my (laughs) age. (laughs) Would you consider yourself a millennial, by the way? You're 35 years old. Does that mean you're a millennial or you're just on the the edge? You know, I think I'm a cusper, but I, you know, I I think, yeah, I'm somewhere in between. But I I do appreciate the millennial, you know, I think it's a a, – the millennial is a mindset, right? It's not a demographic. And I think a lot of people kind of get confused about that. It's a way of thinking. Mm. Um, You know, for example, you know, an older, uh, maybe even a senior uh, could could, could still be a millennial. Yeah, I, I was born in 1984 and several people have told me that I am one of those pesky millennials, even though I feel <laughs> like I was born in 1945 sometimes, but continue. <laughs> I was already any, well ahead of that in 84. So one of the things that intrigues me was the fact that you were targeting millennials, which as a group, at least so far, have their voter turnout hasn't been all that great. Sure. Um, there, There is a divide, especially within the Democratic Party, using that as an example, where you've got the millennials on the presidential level who seem to be globbing more to Bernie Sanders than Hillary Clinton. And even though she's likely to get the nomination, um, there is going to be the issue of reaching out and getting these millennials to actually show up at the polls in November. I'm just interested in your take on all that since you're targeting them specifically. Right. Um, kind of what's your thoughts about some of this? Sure, sure, sure. First of all, I'm targeting all of Missouri. I, you know, I want to be treasurer for all of Missouri, and I want to make sure that that's clear, that I'm going out and talking to seniors. We're talking to the most vulnerable in our state. We're approaching, you know, the rural, our rural and, and urban outreach aggressively. Um, but I also think what sets me apart from everyone else is that I am going after the millennials because I think, unfortunately, it is what it is, but I, I, I go out and, and a lot of people write off our millennials and young people. And I think that that's unfair because I go out and talk to millennials and they're fired up about getting involved in the political process. They care about their vote and they want their vote to matter. And that's why I'm going out there and getting them involved in the process at a very grassroots level. Now, we'll sweep back into the political machinations later, but I actually want to I want to know what you would do as state treasurer. Um, I was talking to you before the show that this is an office that's very important. It Mm -hmm. does a lot of things that are very vital to the state. But I would venture to guess that a lot of ordinary Missourians don't really understand what the office does. Sure. So before you say what you're going to do, give a sense to our listeners what the office does and what you would do to make it better, Absolutely. so to speak. That's a good question. The The state treasurer of Missouri is the chief finance officer of the state of Missouri, Has sits on a number of commissions and boards, uh, one of which is uh, MHDC, the Low Income Housing Authority, Mosers, which is our state employee pensions, um, but also returns unclaimed property, which is about $822 million of unclaimed property, retur- trying to return that to its rightful owners, but also invest the state's funds, which is a $3.6 billion portfolio, a very, very important role. And that's why you need someone who actually understands investments and who uh, has the training to do the job. And that's why I'm running for this position. I am the most qualified to do this job. I have a background in training and economics, and I actually have experience working on the ground on things that I want to do. Financial literacy and financial empowerment is very important for the state of Missouri. Right now, I don't know if you all know, St. Louis has one of the largest unbanked populations of any major U.S. city. 
We also have 900 more payday loans and check cashing outlets than we do McDonald's in the entire state of Missouri. Is this because you have many people who are low income? I think we well. I think we have. It's, it's a number of reasons. I mean, okay. we have a lot of low income individuals, but we also have. It's a. It's it's a cultural and learning and education. It's a lack of information. That's what it is. There's a lot of people that don't even know they could get bank accounts. And for example, I used to work at the Federal Reserve Bank in Kansas City. And my main job there was to help figure out a strategy to bank the unbanked in Kansas City. And right now in Kansas City, if we looked at the black population in Kansas City, about 45% of the African-American population is unbanked in Kansas City. That's huge. And over here on the St. Louis side, one-third of minority residents in the city of St. Louis are unbanked. So they just put their money under their mattress? So many are. And a lot of them don't trust the banking system. A lot of them also are culturally, uh, you look, well, here it is. We have financial deserts in Missouri. That means there are not banking institutions in most of these neighborhoods and communities that need them the most. And I want to clear up financial deserts as, as, as state treasurer and doing that through a financial literacy and a financial empowerment platform and investing the state's fund, that $3.6 billion portfolio, into our community banks who understand the struggles that those communities face. And I want to make sure that those banks have the resources that they need to reach and, and training to reach the people that need it the most. Now, you mentioned several boards that you would serve on. One of the things I'm interested in your take on is um, the, uh, is a particular tax credit that the Missouri Development – what is it? The Missouri Housing Development? Yeah. MHDC. MHDC, yeah, for sure. There it is. <laughs> uh, people who are on that board have to decide – their mentality about giving out low-income housing tax credits, which is a hugely important subsidy for developing not only the urban core, but also rural Missouri to provide seniors and low-income people with housing. Absolutely. What's kind of your mindset about that? Because it's been under fire from the legislature, legislature over the past few years. Right, right. I think that's a good question. I think one of the big things that I've learned about MHDC is it's in and of itself a bureaucracy. And there's a lot of red tape and there's a lot of politics involved in that. And and one thing that I've seen now, and then when I talk to developers who want to do what they need, what they want to do most is break ground and offer affordable housing to the people that need it the most. I want to make sure that MHDC is less political and more merit-based. I want to make sure that we we are providing families with the housing they need so they can worry about making their lives better instead of worrying about where they're going to sleep at night. Right now, it's so political, and even it's, 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 a, it's, an, it's economics. So we have a very political um, approach to this. And when we want to break ground early, when costs are cheap, um, we're, we, we, we have to wait to get the, pr the final approval process and go through the politics and through the red tape. And that, in turn, is going to increase costs over time because money you know, with inflation and, and costs of materials and goods and labor is going to increase over time. Naturally, it's going to make it more expensive for not only the developer, but also that may be uh, – I want to make sure that that additional cost is not handed over to the end user and the person that needs the housing the most. Now, you mentioned 529s. That's mm -hmm. another big thing the treasurer does is manage that college savings plan. For full disclosure, for our listeners, I actually used a most, I actually use a most account nice. for my uh, precocious two-year-old son. Um, <laughs> what would you do to make sure that that particular program is is viable and attractive to people yeah. uh, over the next four to eight years, if you're treasurer. Right, right. And going back to kind of, uh, again, addressing the issue of the unbanked and financial literacy is I want to be an activist treasurer. An activist treasurer is, is you know, because the treasurer has 50 employees or so in Jefferson City. I want to make sure that these folks are getting out and understanding, going out to the rural parts and finding out what are the biggest needs. And one of them right now is the 529 College Savings Plan. That is an incredible opportunity for young people to save, for families to save. Right now, less than 3% of Missouri families use the 529 College Savings Plan. That's an opportunity that a lot of people could take advantage of. Right now, we have folks that are graduating with almost 40 grand in debt. 
and it doesn't even make a college attractive. And 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 it's it, it, they're almost uh, they're, 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 there's no incentive for them to go to school. And I want to make sure that families understand this. That people that maybe maybe a four year college and university is not for you. Maybe you don't want to go to a two year program. But I want to make sure that they could if if young people want to go into a vocational or tech program, or even go into an industrial career, or maybe even a part time um, language program that they want to study. Anything that they're going to do to advance their skill set and advance their talents is going to be good for the state of Missouri. And I want to make sure that families understand that and that they have access to the 529 savings plan. Now, another part of the treasurer's job is that the treasurer, in effect, invests the state's money, Mm -hmm. tries to get a return on the state's money as far as interest. Chris, interest rates nationally have been low for several years. Now, one of the focuses has been not only in trying to get the best return for the state, but also... um, one of your predecessors, Sarah Steelman, made a big deal about not investing in any sort of operations that had some ties to terrorism, even if it was like a bank that maybe one of their other clients was involved in or was allegedly tied to terrorism. How do you see all that? Yeah, sure. Well, one of the things that I want to make sure that we're doing is we're empowering our money managers to do the research and do the due diligence, because I want to make sure that we're making smart investments, that we're getting a good re- return on our investment. But I also know that uh, that the Constitution stipulates that the, the, the return on investment isn't the main priority for the v- investment portfolio. It's about investing in the future of our state. And I want to make sure that I'm making smart investments and investments that align with Missouri values. And my background in training and economics, I understand what a, a good investment is from a bad one. And I think that's why I'm the most qualified to do this job and actually have a clear vision to do this job and to make sure that we're investing our money in a very smart and beneficial manner. Because the Treasury Department, I mean, the Treasurer actually also invests in small business, correct? Yep. And some other, there, there's some very special uh, programs to Absolutely. provide money for small business and others. How would you try to reach out to get a more diverse group of people applying for state money, how would you handle that? Absolutely. Again, as an activist treasurer and being the most qualified to actually be treasurer, one of the things I want to do is leverage our linked deposit program. Our linked deposit program is about $722 million in funds. That's incredible lending power that small businesses can take advantage of. So companies of 100 people or less, it's an incentive for them to get access to capital and create good paying jobs. And I want to make sure that our farmers, that that young, that that growing companies, maybe it's a, a small business or incubator or a tech firm that wants to research the next new idea, they have the access to that capital so they could, in fact, pursue those amazing initiatives here at home. Uh, or, or even if there's uh, companies that want to uh, pursue alternative energy, clean energy, that's an incentive for them to get access to this linked deposit. And again, $722 million of lending power that they have access to. I want to make sure that, that money's out in working in our communities, in our small businesses, to push our economy forward. Uh, you mentioned financial literacy is something that you want to make an emphasis on, but is there anything that the treasurer currently doesn't do that you feel should be added to its official duties, either unofficially or maybe even through uh, a legislative action if you were treasurer? Sure, sure. No, I think one of the biggest things that we need to really focus on and is teaming up with uh, the Secretary of State office is consumer protection. Our seniors get taken advantage of left and right from private businesses and that are just trying to clean out their bank accounts. And I want to make sure that our treasurer's office is a place that people can go to to report you know, suspicious activity, but tag teaming that with uh, the, the Secretary of State's office. Because I believe that they're, current, they're, they're currently the entity that does right. that. But um, obviously, if you had two statewide departments that did that, maybe you could be 
even more efficient with that, essentially? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Because the, the other piece that I think that is important that I've learned, um, you know, just even living in Washington a little bit, the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau is a great, great resource for people to be smart consumers and smart buyers. I want to make sure when, when, when young people are taking out a loan for college, they are buying into, uh, into debt, right? And I want to make sure that they have all the options available at all their fingertips so that they're informed about their buying decision. They're informed about their loan decision. Or the, the, here's the next steps that one should take when considering a loan for a car or taking out a mortgage. And I think that that's one thing that's very important, that we're protecting our consumers and, and giving them the ammo they need to make smart buying decisions. And that's one thing that I want to do as state treasurer. That's different. So tell me a little bit about what it's like to run for state treasurer, because yep. it's a sta- it's the same type of campaign you would run if you're running for U.S. Senate or, or governor, which are more high profile. And as we've talked about, it's an important office, but it often flies a little bit under the radar. True. Tell me a little bit about what how you campaign and what you've been seeing so far as you've been campaigning for this office. Yep. I've been campaigning for this office for almost 15 months, full time, 24-7 plus. And I'm just do, I'm doing this full time. I'm all in and working my butt off and getting all around the state. For a while there, we were actually getting an oil change on the car about uh, about once a month. I didn't even know that was possible. We were working so hard and driving <laughs> Well, Missouri's so a big state, but It continue. is a big state. It is a big state. And I'm used to making that I-70 run because I was in Cal- counties. There it is. There it is. And the uh, city of St. Louis, but continue. I know. I was just going to add that. <laughs> Uh, running for state treasurer has just been a, a real amazing journey, and a lot of it's going out and talking to the voters. And what I found is a lot of the voters are just fired up about something new. They're, they they are tired and frustrated with business as usual politics and politicians, and are ready to take Missouri in a new direction. I've gone and talked to young people, old people, minority communities. The I've gone I've gone all across the state. Whether it's going down to the Boot Hill in Cape Girardeau, going down to Dexter and going to Dexter Barbecue and talking to those folks, or going to Springfield and Greene County, or all the way up to St. Joe, and we're making those inroads that I think. The Democratic Party is fired up about is new energy, new ideas, real leadership, and making sure that somebody's going into this office who's qualified to do the job. And it's been a real, real learning experience for me because I'll tell you, I mean, I'm not going to claim to know all, I mean, you know, no one ever does. You, you know, you don't know what you don't know. But one thing that I'm doing is listening to people, asking tons of questions and figuring out how we can make Missouri stronger. How can we make sure that our economy is going forward and we're taking care of our next generation of, of young people and, and, and our, and our you, know, you know, our old people and seniors alike. <laughs> now, until a few months ago, you were the only Democrat. Yes. Now you have a, a, a challenger, yes. Judy Baker, uh, who's a former state rep. Now, as you're raising money and doing other things, um, and you're having to deal with the primary, while uh, Eric Schmidt, the Republican, right now has nobody, um, so he's amassed all this money, sort of, how do you approach all this, the political climate, especially since it may have changed from six months ago when you were running on your own. Yep, yep. No, I think that, uh, first of all, it's going to be a great year for Democrats. I think we're going to see a great turnout in 2016. Why? Because I think right now, with Trump taking the top of the ticket, that that is something that's on the we've Republican never se- on the Republican side. side. We have we have not seen anything like that type of candidacy, and I think that that is intriguing to people. But I also think that there's a lot of people that are afraid of that, that are scared, that are that really want good leadership and want to be able to depend on their government to look out for their best interests. And right now, people are just, at least from what I could tell are either fearful or they're hopeful or they're, they're going to try to find a way to exercise their vote. And I think that that's important. And when there's a large voter turnout, generally Democrats win. When when Democrats are going to the primary on, on I think, August 2nd, August 2nd and yes. they have to choose between you and former Representative Baker, what do you feel are things that make you stand out and why you should be the nominee for your party? I think what makes me stand out is two things and a couple things, really. The next state treasurer, we need someone in the treasurer's office who not only understands the struggles working families face, 
but also has the technical skills to do the job. I grew up in the urban core of Kansas City and saw firsthand the struggles working families face. I saw families working multiple part-time jobs, just barely trying to make ends meet. And let me be frank, you know, let me be clear. I grew up on union wages, and I and I saw what that struggle was, and and the labor movement, and and how that has contributed to our middle class. And I want to preserve that middle class in our state. But I also know that no one hustles harder than a single mom. And I remember early on, before my dad got a safe union job, my mom was working multiple part-time jobs. She was serving burgers at a burger joint and selling Avon and Mary Kay on the side just to make ends meet. But that hustle and sacrifice and commitment to to taking care of your community is something that I that I employ. And I think that the Missouri voters are seeing that I understand the struggles working families face, and I'm also a trained economist, and I could actually do the job. Um, and I think that's very important for for the voters to know. And also thinking about the future, I'm the only one that has real a real grassroots campaign. Almost, let's see, 67% of my donors are 100 or less. In terms of my Democratic opponent, my Democratic opponent has taken a, a five, she's the only one in my race that's taken a five-figure check from a corporation. I've, I have twice as many. Um, I've, I've, I've almost outraised her by two times, and I have three times as many donors. And I think that when Democrats look for someone who could actually get out there and do the hard work, they're going to look to me in my numbers as, as someone who could not only win in August, but also win in November. Now, when you go to various Democratic events, you know, what sort of reception are you getting for yourself? But also just what are you seeing? Are there big crowds or not? Or just I mean, just trying to get a sense of the lay of the land here. Yeah. You know, you know what I'm seeing is and even what uh, a lot of folks said at Hannibal Days when, when we were last there, Joe. Where, where are all these young people coming from? There were a lot of young Dems that showed up. And I think that that was something new and fresh that the party is hungry for. I mean, there's so many party people that have been, uh, you know, working their butts off to 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 advance democratic causes and and, and initiatives in our state. But we also got to make sure that we're preparing for the future. And one of the things that I want to do that's different is prepare a pipeline of young talent that are prepared to run for office. And I want to consolidate and unite our party. I go to county. Uh, I go to county. Uh, you know, every every chicken dinner and 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 fish fry you mention, and folks want to know what's going on. They always say, "Pat, what's up with the party? Where where's the information? What do we need to do next?" They want leadership, and I think they want vision, and they want someone who could actually get the work done. And that's what I'm committed to doing. And that's why I'm going out and recruiting Team 529 hashtag Team 529 to recruit young millennials all around the state. And, and to prepare them to run for office and to be our representatives in Jefferson City. There is a historic nature to your candidacy if you become the nominee. I believe you would be the first Latino person ever to win a nomination in Missouri. Joe, I don't think there has been one, has there? I don't think so. Yeah. So what what do you think that means if you get the nomination and if you win that you would take that designation? Because yeah. it's never happened. I mean, this would be the same question I'd be asking if, if you were the first woman or the first African-American or the first Jewish sure. person. This is could be another first. What do you think it would mean for the state? You know, I think that's historical, and I think that's going to show progress in our state. And I think that's what we need to be a stronger state. And I think, um, you know, I look back at my 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 heritage, my Latino heritage, and that's something that I cherish and I value, and that's a part of who I am. And it also gives me insight into what those community that community faces in our state and nationally. And I think that having the fastest growing population, in, not only in our state but in the country. Having a representative, having a, having a, having a place at the table is very important because when I look at my background, I grew up in African American communities in Kansas City. I grew up in Latino communities. I grew up in, in, in you know in, in different 
neighborhoods and it, it, mostly in the urban core, but I'm able to bring those experiences to the treasurer's office. And I think anytime you bring different perspectives, different mindsets, and, and diverse uh, opinions is going to be stronger for that project, stronger for the government, stronger for business, stronger for, for you know, who we are as a state. And I think it's only going to push our state forward in having that, 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 that background and that perspective. Now, since you haven't been in Jefferson City as an officeholder, mm-hmm. and not that that's a prerequisite, some would say that it's better to be an outsider. I'm just interested in your take on being as someone who's had Jeff City experience versus someone who has not, sure. and whether or not that's important to the officer. Does it bring some other fresh perspective? Well, here's another thing that uh, that I think is very important as an outsider, and I think that people need to understand is that my campaign is being powered by not only the millennials but a real grassroots campaign. All of my opponents have taken checks from special interests and lobbyists. My, my Republican opponent, in fact, has taken about a total of $750,000 from Rex Singfield. When the rubber meets the road, and I think when Missouri wants to elect an official, they want someone who's going to represent them. Who do you think that those that my opponents are going to answer to? All, they've all taken checks from special interests and lobbyists. And I think what we've seen in Jefferson City is that someone needs to go in there and clean things up. Because right now, that's not democracy. That's not who we are. Uh, you know, our, say, our, our state is not for sale. And I think the most important thing is that we're showing that there's a real grassroots movement in this state to elect new leadership that has a vision for not only just this election cycle. My, my vision goes 20 years plus. I'm trying to figure out what we can do to really push our state ahead forward economically, uh, uh, you know, socially, you name it, financially, um, and just making sure that we are as strong as we possibly can as, as, as in the state of Missouri. If you're elected state treasurer, what is the very first thing you would do? Very first thing. That I, first day. Yeah, the very first thing I would do, I think, was... Uh, uh, I would probably call Clint and Clint's wife, our current treasurer, and say, "What the heck did I get myself into? What you know? What do I do next?" <laughs> He's like lounging on a beach somewhere, you <laughs> right, know, right. glad to be out of it. Um, you know, it's interesting that Joe mentioned the legislature because one of the things I noticed about Treasurer's wife is even though, first of all, he was I think a very combative and and fiercely principled legislator mm-hmm. in a Republican majority uh, General Assembly, he seemed. To, he seems to have done a very good job at getting legislation passed um, among a hostile legislator. Yeah. Um, maybe it's because he people like him. Maybe because he has those Jefferson City skills that um, are, are able to put those things that the treasurer's office needs forward. So how would you go about that? Because there are going to be things the treasurer off, treasurer's office needs to do that will need legislative approval. As someone who doesn't have experience as a state house or state senate person, do you think you'll be able be effective at getting those things across the finish line? Absolutely. And I think right now when I look at uh, a lot of my supporters, even in Jefferson City, you know, I have a total of 80 endorsements from people around the state, elected officials that um, that believe in me and believe in my cause and believe in our future. Right. And I think that my background as a as a as a diplomat where I've had to negotiate tough deals and, and talk, you know, and, and, and get buy in. That I have the experience to do that, but I also have the relationships to do that because I, you know, I was gone for a little bit, but I also uh, worked uh, uh, under Bob Holden when he uh, had a, his uh, advisory task force on youth uh, back in the day, and I was able to uh, engage with with friends in Jefferson City. And I think right now it's just a matter of building that trust um, and and showing that um, you know the future of our state is stronger with somebody like me as state treasurer um, and making sure that we are investing. Uh, in our people, in, in the state of Missouri, and not in, and not falling victim to special interests and lobbyists. So we have a couple minutes left, and I, I said we were going to talk about this in the green room, but I want to talk about your Snapchatting. Oh, yeah. And uh, we're, 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 we're talking about this not just as kind of a, a humorous aside, but because I actually think you may be hitting on a trend that may become more mainstream after a while. So just for a little background for our listeners, I was talking with a 
class at Webster University a few months ago, kind of about the future of political communication and campaigns. And pretty much every single one of them said that Snapchat was <laughs> going to be the future of how people campaign in this country and in this state. There are not many people in Missouri politics who have grasped that, but if you have because I follow you on Snapchat. You use it extensively and very creatively. Tell me a little bit about you know, why you think that might be a promising social media conduit to reach the millennial voters or any right. other voters you're talking about. Right, right. And one of the things that I learned when I was overseas and, and really working on, on you know, uh, cultural shifts or whether it's going out to the outside, you got you to gotta speak their language and really coming from a place of understanding. And a lot of millennials speak the language of social media. And in order to reach them, you have to, you have to, you have to be on their level. And that's one of the things that I want to do. And that's why I'm on Snapchat, to give an insider's view on my day-to-day. Now, how does Snapchat work? Just to yeah. explain to our listeners. So, so Snapchat is a is a function. It's an app on your phone that uh, that allows you to take photos um, that are uh, that are temporarily shared on your story. You kind of have a, a there's a time in which you could post photos and people could look at and observe, and then they go away. Or you could post videos that they could observe and look at for maybe 24 hours or something like that, yes. and then they go away. So a lot of times, like today, I just posted on what we were doing, and I said, hey, you know, we're in here in the studio, and and people might. Oh, that's cool. It's a different perspective. Right? You know why I think it might actually be taking hold is I, I have always thought that effective social media for political candidates has to be the candidate themselves controls what there. what's being done. Right. I know yeah. that for, for larger campaigns, for like Twitter accounts, sometimes staffers do that. And that's just the, right. the, the, the lay of the land and the nature of the beast. But for Snapchat, especially since it involves videos of what you're doing and, and, and what you're doing on the trail, it really requires the candidate themselves to actually push the button and say something. Absolutely. And I think that gives a more personal connection to the person that's looking at it. I think this is going to become mainstream in four years to where every major Missouri candidate is using it the way that you're doing right now. Is is that kind of your understanding too? I think so. I mean, I think we're on the cutting edge. And I think another thing on the social media front that we're doing that's really unique and different is, is one passion that I, that I've always had is, is serving our veterans. So I served along, I was a frontline civilian, but I served along uh, some of our men and women overseas and coming back, I want to do what I could to help them get back on their feet. So I was appointed to the Jackson County Veterans Task Force and helping veterans get jobs and get back on their feet and get housing. And what I'm doing now, social media, is uh, is doing push-ups for veterans. It's on Facebook. It's, uh, it's, a, it's an initiative that shows that actually there are 22 veterans that commit suicide every single day in our country. And it's, uh, it's an initiative to create awareness and to challenge people to start talking about these issues because these are the people that have you know, served on the front lines and they've given so much to our communities. And I want to make sure that we are doing what we can to create that awareness, but also take the next step and get them, get them moving forward in their lives so they could actually come back and, and achieve the dreams that they want to achieve. Now, your State Department tour of duties in uh, Pakistan and then I think in Mexico, Mexico. You, you said, was there anything that you brought from all that that is really... Uh, influenced how you're campaigning or what you're doing here in Missouri? Yeah, yeah. No, I think, uh, you know, looking back at my State Department experience, it was, a, it, was a, it was a way for me to figure out how to really lead from a place of understanding. Because many times you're engaging with foreign cultures or foreign languages even, um, but you have to study the language. You have to study the culture, the traditions, the history, so that you can, in fact, relate to them and, and build that trust and loyalty. And that's what I'm doing on the campaign trail, is I'm, I'm taking that same perspective of coming, leading from a place of deep understanding, whether I'm meeting folks Folks, again, down you know in the Boot Hill or in the Lake of the Ozarks or up in, in you know in Hannibal or northern Missouri is 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 I'm coming from a place of listening and learning and how can we make things better for 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 the entire state of Missouri. Well, we appreciate you coming all the way to to beautiful St. Louis to talk with us. We'll be following this campaign with 
some intensity because it is a very important office. And for all of our stories, stlpublicradio.org. Follow me on Twitter at Jay Rosenbaum. You can follow me on Snapchat, by the way, at Jason Rosenbaum all the way through. Joe, I believe you have a Twitter but not a Snapchat. Correct. I, I'm sorry I'm lagging. But anyway, yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at jmanis, J-M-A-N-N-I-E-S. And since we've talked a, a lot about Snapchat, how do we follow you on Twitter and Snapchat? Yeah, you know, so on Twitter, my handle is at Pat Contreras, and my uh, Snapchat handle is C-O-N-T-R-E-R-P, P. That was my old email from SLU. It was contrarp at slu.edu. So I, I, I know it's not that creative. but it, It's creative, <laughs> but his Snapchatting is very creative, and I, I highly recommend following him, as well as any Missouri candidate that decides to take that plunge. And we'll be back next time. Until then, so long.